This is uh, part five of our series that we're calling Over. So whether you're with us here in person or you're with us at church online or you're watching on demand or you're listening to the podcast, however it is that you've chosen to be with us today, thank you for being here. Uh, We're talking about being overwhelmed with life. We've been talking about things like being overcommitted in our time and energy, being overdrawn financially, uh, being overestimated in our relationships, uh, being overworked in our pace of life. Uh, And so that's kind of where we've been. Today, we're going to call this one Overconnected. The big idea of this whole over series that we started with this statement a few weeks ago And it's true about this topic today, and it's simply this, this is kind of our underlying uh, thesis, that what is true is more important than what we feel is true. What is true is more important than what we feel is true. So today, we're talking about a subject that, frankly, we wouldn't have talked about 10 years ago. The subject is technology, and more specifically, social media. Some of you feel very overwhelmed by technology right now. Uh, I get texts almost every Sunday morning asking um, how to find church online because they forgot from last Sunday. I'm perfectly fine. I'll do it every, I'll I'll reply to that text every week. That's fine. Most of us feel overwhelmed by technology, whether you're a technology person or not. We find it a little overwhelming. Because you may feel overwhelmed by it because you don't really understand it. Some of you are overwhelmed by it because you do understand it and it's not cooperating with you. Uh, Here's the bottom line. It's a difficult thing to control, even if it's as simple as something like plugging a light in and hoping that it just doesn't flicker for an hour. Some of you... For some of you, this is not even an issue uh, because you're not overwhelmed by technology. In fact, I would love to introduce some technology to some people because it would make, it would just open up a whole new world to you. It would make a, make a, definitely make it a whole lot easier to communicate. Um, But a lot of people, and we did this a couple summers ago, we offered, we call it a church technology workshop, and we invited you to come. We sat around tables, we put up some screens, and we talked through the different kinds of technology that we use to interact with you as a part of the church, uh, like between Sundays. But a lot of people who are overwhelmed with technology and with social media and how we interact with it maybe don't even know that they are. So let's just talk about this as if we're all in this together. So the big idea for today is simply this, technology and social media. So, and I'm a big fan of technology, probably to a fault. Technology makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. I tried to think of some different verbiage because I know that's kind of not very woke, but... Then I, uh, I realized, I just, by using that word, I realized I'm not very woke. So just saying, I'm trying so hard. Then I realized this, this is actually kind of computer speak, the idea of master and servant. Although in computer world, it's actually master and slave. When you're talking about multiple hard drives on a computer, you have a master hard drive and then you have slave hard drives. So I'm okay with using this, te- this terminology for that. So technology is a wonderful servant. I mean, you can use it to do good in the world, but if you let it master you, if you let it rule you, if you let it rule your emotions, if you let it rule your heart, if you let it rule your life, if you let it run you, it turns out kind of horrible in the end. So technology can be a tremendous servant, but like money, like we talked about last time, it can be a terrible 
master. Uh, you might say, well, uh, see, that's, you're making my point, Todd. What we really need to do is just like unplug and go back to like 20 years ago when none of this was around. Just, we just need to unplug as a household and unplug as a church and just unplug and go back in time. You can make that choice if you want. I don't think technology is inherently evil. I think technology, and actually for the rest of this message, I just decided we're going to talk about social media. That's really what we're talking about today, okay? So when I say technology, I'm, I'm referring to social media. And I'm just going to say this too. When I say social media, I understand in this room, I'm really talking about Facebook for the most part. I know a couple of you are TikTokers and that's great for you, but um, <laughs> you might actually be, I don't even know, but how I wouldn't know. I am not, but um, I said to somebody earlier today that I felt like looking back, my generation co-opted Facebook from our kids' generation. I don't want to take TikTok from my kids, grandkids' generation, so you can have that one. I feel like I'm talking primarily about, did you say MySpace? <laughs> about talking primarily about Facebook, okay, and maybe a little bit of Instagram, and sometimes, in a rare case, Twitter. Here's the thing. Social media simply does this. It reveals and amplifies what is already there. It reveals and amplifies what is already there. It just reveals something. It's revealing your insecurities. It's revealing your, maybe your arrogance. It's revealing what you think and how you feel about yourself. It's revealing the fact that you can be mean. It's revealing the self that you can be. It's revealing things inside you that you wish weren't there, but they're there, and then they're out there for the whole world to see. It's revealing our need for approval, our need for acknowledgement, our need for uh, a soapbox, and ultimately, really, I would argue, our need for a savior. Did you know that 20% of divorces, that's one out of five failed marriages, Facebook is mentioned as an issue? Facebook's a factor. I think it's wild. But did Facebook actually break up the marriage? No, there was something inside the people in the marriage that broke up the marriage. Social media reveals and amplifies what's already there. Our technologies are not inherently good or evil in and of themselves. I grew up in the 70s in a, in a kind of a fundamentalism, evangelical world where people were getting rid of their TVs. And I don't mean they were selling them. They were taking them out behind their house and shooting them with shotguns. And uh, not, not, even, not even joking. But here's the thing about technology. Our use of technology simply reveals and amplifies what's already there. It's like a megaphone for the human spirit, for the gospel of Christ, but also for our depravity, for our sin, for our self-destructive behaviors, for our tendency to lash out and to put down. It's a megaphone for the things that we struggle with, like insecurity or approval addiction or maybe our image management. So you might be wondering where I'm going with this because, well, what does the Bible have to say about technology? We're going to get there. I would argue the Bible has plenty to say because human nature hasn't changed that much. And so we're going to look at a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, in his letter to the church in Galatia. We call it the book of Galatians. In this letter, he talks about the freedom that we have and the freedom, I would say, to use technology. And he doesn't talk about technology, but the freedom to use things, tools, to do things in life but also the consequences of what happens when we point our freedom in the wrong direction. Just as you could publish good through uh, print for centuries, uh, you can also you could publish evil 
and you could publish hate. In the same way you can do good things online and great things online, you can also do some really hurtful and destructive things online. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. So if you're, if you're in bondage, if you're addicted, if you're in slavery to anything, technology, alcohol, drugs, gossip, approval, whatever it happens to be, Christ is the one who's going to truly set you free. And he says uh, that's what he's done for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been set free. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be set free. So he's like, all right, I'm writing to my Christian friends in Galatia, in the church there. These are Jesus followers. And I'm saying Christ has truly set us free. And look what he says next. Now make sure that you stay free. Hmm. So it's not automatic. Like you can allow yourself to become enslaved again. If you want to, you can make yourself a slave to substances, a slave to food, a slave to the approval of others, a slave to your phone, a slave to whatever game you're playing half the night, a slave to your own comfort. And he says, no, 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 stay free. Stay free because you will probably enslave yourself to something. You might enslave yourself to work. You might enslave yourself to sex. You might enslave yourself to relationships. You might enslave yourself to escapism. Paul says, don't squander your freedom. Make sure you stay free. And he says, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, their particular issue was they wanted to go back to the Old Testament way of relating to God. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's Christ has done away with that. And we have a new way of relating to God. So don't waste your new freedom. And so don't, it doesn't mean like, you know, you won't be a Christian anymore, but just don't waste it. Verse 13 says this, jump all the way down to verse 13. For you've been called, and called to what? To live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So you still have some choice. When we go online, we can do good things, we can do bad things, we can do destructive things, we can do encouraging things, we can use our freedom to satisfy the sinful nature that still lives inside of us, or we can use it for great things. That's our call. He lays out the consequences, verse 13. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, because that's what Christ has done for us. He serves us in love. So if you're wondering, what does it mean then to be a Christian? It means you get access to the love of God that is in Jesus Christ because you have a relationship with the one who loves you. And so you use your freedom that way. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's hard to do that period. It's hard to do that when you're insecure. It's hard to do that when you're jealous. If you don't feel loved. And Paul says, well, you are loved, but you can squander that. Use your freedom to serve one another in love, verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up. And if you're like, well, I struggle with the law too. I don't mean there's so much there in the Old Testament that I don't understand. It's complicated. What's the point anyway? Why do we even have it? I don't get it. Paul says it can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Not a bad social media guideline, actually. Not a bad protocol for the office. Not a bad way to conduct your life and family. Not a bad way to parent. Not a bad way to be a neighbor. This goes into all of life. And then he says, he spells this out, 
He says, I, I can just stop there. You know, don't use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Instead, serve one another in love. But it's kind of like, let's get granular. Okay, let's get, let's get really down here uh, below the surface. In verse 15, he says, if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. <laughs> this is exactly what happens in a lot of areas on social media. Why? Because social media is bad and you need to close your account? No, it's just revealing and amplifying what's already there. And if you let it be your master, it's going to be terrible. If you let social media be your servant, it can be wonderful. But if you're always, he says, if you're always biting and devouring each other, he says, be careful, beware of destroying one another. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So what is... What Paul does is he sets up this tension that even as Christians, so like, and if you're not a Christian, you live in this tension too, because you're trying to be a good person at least, right? But something keeps defeating your attempts at being a good person. And if you're a Christian, you kind of got the ultimate victory in Jesus, but you still struggle with the day-to-day stuff because we still carry with us this sin nature, right? So he says, here's the way you get through this. Verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. <laughs> what your sinful nature craves. So if you're doing what your sinful nature craves, what's that mean? Well, I guess then the Holy Spirit isn't guiding your life. So if you're a Christian, you're like, well, I gave my life to Christ a month ago, a year ago, five years ago, a long time ago, but I still find myself caving into my sinful nature. That's simply because Jesus is your Savior, but maybe you aren't letting the Holy Spirit guide your everyday life, and you haven't invited Him into every aspect of your life and experience and being, and Paul says you should. You should let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then he says this, and I'm grateful for texts that are this honest, and Paul has a way of doing this. Verse 17, he says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. You kind of feel that battle inside of you sometimes, right? You can identify with the image that they used to use in cartoons, right? With the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. It's kind of what he's talking about. That's why when you decide, you know, you're going to get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and you're just going to see what's new, maybe look at some pictures from your friends or family who live out of town or out of state. That's all good, you know. And before you know it, you've made a comment. Now you're in a discussion. Now you're deep in this rabbit hole. And maybe it's even gotten heated. And maybe it's about, I don't know, politics. Or maybe it's about sports. Or maybe it's about masks or vaccines. Or maybe it's about religion and your superior Christian beliefs. Whatever it is, listen, it quickly becomes toxic and negative and not very helpful. Maybe someone on the other side feels attacked by your words. And for sure, it doesn't look like loving one another. And Paul says this kind of life, right? you got these forces of good and these forces of evil, and the forces of good are from Christ. Forces of evil are from the evil one, and it's a battle that's being waged inside of you because the sinful wants to do evil, and the Holy Spirit wants to do good in your life, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. This is what I think social media reveals. Verse 17, these two forces, Paul says, are constantly fighting each other. He's writing to Christians. They're always inside you. They're always fighting each other, but this is true. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. 
Can you identify with this? And you're like, yeah, it describes my life because, man, I've had all these like amazing intentions, but I don't, I don't want to be this way, but I am this way. I really want to do that, but I never follow through and do that. So what do you do? Verse 18, he says, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So again, remember who he's writing to, and he says, in other words, if you continue to surrender your life to the Holy Spirit, the things that used to own you don't have to own you anymore. And you'll feel that compulsion start to weaken and eventually disappear. And as we surrender our life more and more to Christ and to the Holy Spirit, we're no longer slaves to the things that used to keep us in slavery. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So if you're ever confused, you know, is this of God or is this not God? Paul's like, I'm going to make this very, very clear for you. And then he gives us a list. And I'm always nervous about Paul's lists. Because you might read this list and think, well, here we go. Christians talking about this stuff. We've got church people that are talking. This is why I don't want to have anything to do with it. Kind of stay with me all the way through this because I think, I think this can be incredibly helpful. Paul says, I want, uh, if you want to know what sin looks like uh, in your life, the desires that I'm talking about, here's a list. Verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Here's the thing. Uh, Sex is a gift from God. Sex was designed by God for a very particular context. That's what we believe the Bible teaches, that sex has a context. But your sexual desires are going to say, oh, no, 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 you should just be able to have sex, you know, if you really love each other, or at least like kind of really like each other a lot. That's not from God. That's your sinful nature. So sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And since we're talking about uh, technology, chances are someone in this room is really struggling with pornography, and technology has made it super easy to get access. Pornography, I'll just make a bold statement here, is not from God. Whether you're a Christian or not, pornography interferes with the intimacy you want to have in real life, in your relationship with your spouse, or listen, with your future spouse. So sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Again, technology didn't create it. It just reveals and amplifies what's already there. He says, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, and jealousy. (laughs) And it's funny, when we read this list, we like to rank things. It's all just one sentence. It's not ranking. Let's talk about jealousy. I think that's one thing that social media reveals in all of us. It's just this jealousy because we find ourselves, you know, we're jealous of the way she looks. You're jealous of the house that they have. You're jealous of the car he drives. You're jealous of the vacations and the experiences that they have. And it's so silly, really, because we all know that we don't post accurate pictures of our lives online. We post glamorized photos of the best of our life from the best angle. I mean, you figured out on your phone, what angle do I need to be at so I look, I don't know, 15 pounds thinner than I really am? You figured it out. Some of you haven't. We can give you a tutorial on that. You've, you figured out how to make your vacation look 10 times better than it really was, how to make your relationship look a whole lot better than it really is, how to make yourself look more successful than you really are. We've gotten really good at making ourselves look like we got it together and like, look at me on date night with my love. Look at how much... (laughs) 
Look at how much my kids love me. Look what they gave me. Look, I'm eating out again. Here's a picture of my food. I know there's usually a shadow of truth in there, but it's often an exaggeration. Why? Because we're jealous of the people who appear to have better lives than us. And we don't want people to really know the truth about our lives. We want people to think that you know, we're something that we're really not. So we got this jealousy thing going on and, it, and we just can't stand it because like, why does she always post that? Why does he always post that? It reveals and amplifies something within you. And it's a sin nature thing. And the Apostle Paul did a lot of writing and explaining how it's the sin nature that Christ came to address. Verse 20, list continues. Outbursts of anger. That's a good one. We all have that ranting friend on Facebook, right? <laughs> Maybe your friends have that ranting friend on Facebook. <laughs> that person that just has to stir the pot because they're so angry about something. Or maybe they're never happy about anything. Nothing is ever good enough. They're always sharing stuff about things that make them angry and they post their rants that are nothing but outbursts of anger. And I would say, you know, your friends do this. We have those friends because none of us do this, of course. But social media didn't necessarily create this in us, but it just reveals and amplifies what's already there. So outbursts of anger, then selfish ambition, because most of us are just selfish and our self-esteem is so low that we set out to, I don't know, make ourselves the hero so somebody will notice, you know? It's like, I don't feel good about myself, so I'm going to make myself look better than I actually am. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul says, let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're like, what? What does that mean? So if I do these things, I'm not a Christian anymore? If I do these things, I don't go to heaven? This is not what Paul's talking about. We have, we have reduced the idea of the kingdom of God to the afterlife the kingdom of God is much more complex than that. This is not, Paul is not talking about the afterlife. He's talking about the same kingdom of God that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of God says if you want to live the life that you were intended to live, if you actually want to be the person that God has created you to be, if you want to live in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, as Jesus taught when he talked about his kingdom, that's what we're talking about. You're gonna, we're going to run away from these things because the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? Again, this isn't about your eternity. This isn't about heaven and the afterlife. This is about life in the kingdom of God and the here and now. Living life in the freedom that Jesus has called us to. And Paul says, you're you're living in slavery to these things, in slavery to the sin nature. And as long as you're living this way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That means you're not actually going to live life in light of the forgiveness that God has already extended to you. You're not going to live your everyday life in the freedom that Jesus wants you to experience, and you're not going to experience the peace of God in your life. And if you're like, yeah, peace of God, let's talk about that. We sing about peace, and we talk about peace around here all the time. Why don't I have any peace in my life? Well, Paul would say perhaps it's because we keep chasing after our sin nature. We haven't addressed the sin in our lives and let the Holy Spirit guide us. Then he says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So if that's what the sinful nature produces, what does the Holy Spirit produce? Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. When you and I live our lives and surrender to Him, this is what's true of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says there's no law against these things. When we read this passage, we often stop right there. But listen to this, verse 24. Those who actually belong to Jesus, to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That's what you and I need to do every day because this sin nature still rears its head in our lives. We've got to nail them to the cross of Christ. Verse 25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives including our life online, which Paul could never have imagined, right? Including our life at work, including our life at home, including the private, the public, all of it. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So what do we do with all that? Here are a few things to ask yourself and... and, uh, just like we've done in all these messages in this series, is not meant to be exhaustive and this is, like, this is all we have to say about the topic, but it's kind of all we have time for today. So I'm going to start with this one. And this one just requires that we be honest, maybe do some soul searching. Ask yourself, what am I doing online that's immoral? Think about it this way. Like if my wife had the passcode to my phone, oh, and she does, If my wife had the password to my computers, and she does. If my wife had my passwords for Facebook and email and my Google searches, and she does. What would she find there that is objectionable? What am I doing online that I wouldn't want my friends to know about? It's a place to start as you answer this question. Second one is, what am I doing online that is selfish? If you're... uh, Social media presence is all about you and how awesome you are, you know? Thin veil for your insecurities. Like, how many selfies do you take before you get the one that you decide to share? How much time do you spend editing uh, that selfie to show you in the best light possible? Are you posting content that's kind of cryptic just so people that will respond so you can have their attention for a few minutes? Are you putting stuff on social media that just elicits lots of likes and hearts and virtual hugs so people will think you're doing better than you really are? Are you posting pictures and videos on social media just to get someone and just to like, damn, that'll show them? What am I doing online that's making my real life worse? Because what you're doing online can make your real life better or it can make your real life worse. If you get into fights and arguments online, it's going to make your real life worse. If you're into porn online, it's going to make your real life worse. If you're playing the jealousy and envy and insecurity game online, it's going to make your real life worse. If you're constantly constantly posting 
political views on social media, it's going to make your real life worse. How? Because not everyone in your life agrees with you. And if everyone in your life, hang with me, if everyone in your life agrees with you, you need some new people in your life. That's not a healthy way to go through life. And I get it. Your political views are important to you and you hold them tightly. I get all that. But listen, what practical good is it doing to flood your social media with that all the time? So I'm not saying never post a political view. I'm just saying use some discretion. Think about the influence that you have with people in your life. Think about the work and the time that you've put into like, the emotional uh, investment you've made to earn that influence with people. Are you willing to give that up, to lose your voice of influence with some people in your life for the sake of posting a political view on Facebook? The same could be said about religious content. Let's not alienate the very people we would love to reach with the gospel. The people we'd love to see to come into a relationship with Jesus. Let's not alienate them by being super spiritual, holier-than-thou, reductionist, bumper-sticker, cliched Christian content on social media all the time. Let's use some discretion. Technology reveals and amplifies what's already there. So practically, what do we do? First thing, this is going to get really practical for the next couple of minutes. And as right about the time it gets really awkward, we're going to go. So number one, number one create some no-phone zones. You know, that's right, church should be a no-phone. That's fine. If church is a no-phone zone for you, fine. Other people use it to um, follow along in the Bible app. Some people I know right now have been reading articles for the last 20 minutes. Other people are fact-checking me as I speak. We know that's a thing now. Create some no-phone zones, whatever that looks like for you. You should have some no-phone zones. Maybe it's when you're in the car with your spouse. Or your kids. Of course, you're not talking on your handheld device. You're not holding your hand, your phone in your hand because that's against the law. I see you. I have this thing. I can't turn it off. I memorize what people drive and even, in some cases, their license plate number. I don't do it on purpose. It's just a thing that happens. Don't laugh at me. You know it's true. And I can't turn it off. It's like saying, don't smell that. Well, I can't not smell that. I can smell it. Well, I can memorize your plate number. Sorry. And when I see you coming at me down the road and you didn't see me wave because you're talking on your handheld device, I'm just praying that you get where you're going safely and that I do too. (laughs) Don't take my life into your own hands. Put your phone away. That wasn't even in my notes. Could you tell? (laughs) Create some no phone zones. Some no phone zones. Zones, phone-free experiences. And I know, I know what you're asking. How am I going to post pictures on Facebook of my experience? Because if it's not on Facebook, did it even happen? But I put it there so Facebook reminds me a few years down in memory, whatever. Um, but your family gathering, your date night, your meal on date night. Listen. <laughs> if you're on a date night with your spouse or your significant other, put your phone away. I mean, the reason's obvious, right? Also, 
Nobody cares. <laughs> you shouldn't be applauded for doing the things you should do anyway. So just go on a date night and be in each other's presence. Look each other in the eye and have a conversation. I don't care if you're just talking about the salad, but have a conversation. Because here's the thing, when you post that in real time, when you're on a date night with your love, we aren't thinking what you think we're thinking. <laughs> put, your, put your phone away and focus on the person across the table from you or in the car with you. So take a good look at your life and figure out, create some no phone zones. This is going to require a conversation with your kids. Like you have to sit down, I don't know, maybe, it's a, maybe you've got to start a group message to get their attention. I don't know. Uh, but whatever it takes, let's start the conversation and create some phone-free experiences with your children. Here's a suggestion. This is going to reveal my age, no doubt. But if your preteen kids have phones, I would suggest that their bedrooms are phone-free zones. I am so old school. I would suggest... Oh, man. I would suggest that their... TV-free zones, too. But what do I know? Have I raised any kids? I don't know. I don't know how you handled it this week with... I did an experiment on Monday evening. I made arrangements with Spectrum to shut off the internet for the entire state of Maine. And I thought it was gracious of them. Wow, I had to do some serious soul-searching... I was into, like, I do a lot of advanced sermon preparation, but week of, it gets down to, like, what I'm, like, let's tighten this up, and I was already in that mode, and then I had no way to entertain myself, and I found myself adjusting my notes. I would have, except I had no internet, and I couldn't access them, but um, I thought it was very gracious of Spectrum to go along with this for the purpose of a sermon illustration. It was great. What a study in human behavior that was. Some of you were having very public panic attacks on Facebook. It was something to watch, and I was very just keenly aware of it, knowing what I was going to be talking about today. But if you wonder what kind of relationship you have with your online world, think about how you reacted to the internet outage on Monday night. That was less than three hours, and it felt like weeks. You're like, Spectrum should refund us. I did the math. They owe us about 22 cents. Literally, I did the math. That's about what they owe us. So here's number two. Number two, teach character now. So this is really like for parents, grandparents, anybody who has a voice in the lives of somebody younger than you. Think about what you were exposed to in high school sex and peer pressure and bullying. And I mean, you got exposed to that in high school. But as soon as you give your kids a smartphone or an iPad or an iTouch, they get the internet. Now you got to teach character because they can go places and see things and experience the things that you wouldn't have had to experience until you were like 14, 15, 16 years old. Do you know the average first porn exposure is 10 to 11 years old? And if, oh, and and that's not the worst. You think your kids aren't capable of being a bully? Have you checked their online activity lately? Do you know their logins? Are you checking it in real time? Now, we didn't always get it right, but when our kids first got Facebook, 
they knew that we had their logins, and they knew that at any time we could be logged in watching their activity in real time. But what about their privacy? Sue me. We don't, we don't want our kids to be bullied, correct? But we certainly don't want them to be the bully. There's, you've got to know what's happening in these environments. We've got to teach character younger. So what do I mean by character? <laughs> Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what we want in our kids, in our grandkids, in the lives of the children that we have influence with. So give your kids some limits when it comes to their connected devices. They won't like it. They may not like you for a while. Big deal. You accepted that premise when you decided to become a parent. It's your responsibility as the parent to set some limits and to shape values in the lives of your sons and daughters. Here's why character and values are so important. Because internally owned values carry more power than externally imposed rules. I'll just back up. Maybe I'll say it again. Internally owned values carry more power than externally imposed rules rules. Because you can just be all about the rules, but eventually your kids go to school. They go to their friend's house. Here's a newsflash. Eventually they leave home. Then what's going to guide them? Not your rules. Their internal values will guide them. Final point. Invite the Holy Spirit online with you. Just invite the Holy Spirit online with you. You want to know what, you know, letting the Holy Spirit guide your life looks like? Invite the Holy Spirit online with you. Say, God, I want my whole life to be surrendered to you. For sure, there are some things that get triggered in me online. We all have that. There's some things that get me triggered online that don't trigger me as much kind of in my everyday life. But online, man, it's like amplified. But here's the thing. Social media isn't going away. Technology isn't going away. So you can put your head in the sand and go all Amish if you want. Good luck with that. Invite the Holy Spirit with you online and say, God, I want to go wherever you go. I want you to be with me wherever I go. I don't want this thing to master me. I want to use it for good because technology makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Thanks so much for hanging with me today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these last few weeks where we've been able to talk about things that we sometimes find overwhelming For people who are struggling with their relationship with technology, uh, it can be really difficult to find the right balance. We acknowledge that today. So pray that you would bring clarity in the midst of the overwhelm. And I pray that our online activity, that the Holy Spirit would come alongside us and guide us, that we would be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, even in that environment, in that experience. Pray that we'd surrender all of our lives, like every aspect of our lives, the things we do privately, the things we do publicly, that we'd surrender to the leadership of your Holy Spirit in our lives. For all this, God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.